Well, folks, what else can we say? But it wouldn't be the playoffs for the 2020 NFL season if a team playing its first playoff game in what feels like 914 years didn't have a potential COVID outbreak on their hands. That just sounds like peak 2020 to me. What's happening, everybody? Justin, Bridgewater's Finest on YouTube, Blockbuster underscore guy on Twitter, fueled as always by the incredible folks at Nerd Tees, and welcome to the super wild card weekend edition of my football pick show for the 2020 NFL football season and postseason. And dear God, we actually made the playoffs. I feel like nobody actually thought it was going to get this far. And now we're just like, let's see how far we can take it. Maybe we can even award a Super Bowl this year. Although if one team has it, uh, you know, has their way with the way their COVID situation looks, yeah, maybe we won't. That's an exaggeration, obviously. But again, like it's, it, it, it's the most 2020 thing that could happen that we're like heading into the playoffs and a team looks like they have a bit of a COVID outbreak. But anyway, let's talk about what happened in week 17. Let's talk about my final results from the regular season. And then let's go into the picks for the super wildcard weekend. So I finished the season straight up really strong. 12-4 and four in Week 17 went pretty much the way that I thought it was going to go, with obviously a couple of exceptions, Miami being the biggest one. I can't believe with the playoffs on the line, they would, they would crap their pants that badly. And against the spread, not the greatest, 6-9 and 1, but had a really good end of the season on the totals, going 10-6 and six on the over-unders in Week 17. Platinum, gold, silver, and bronze picks, I went 3-1 and one straight up, only losing the Arizona Cardinals, losing that game to a Jared Goffless Los Angeles Rams, 18-7. A really poor performance by Arizona, and I understand that Kyler Murray got hurt, and Chris Streveler is not Kyler Murray. I totally get that, but I still can't believe they couldn't muster more than seven points in that game so I missed everything in that game except for the total staying under 42 and a half against the spread I only pushed on my platinum pick which was the Colts minus 14 against the Jags that is the exact point total they won by so we pushed on that one but did go three and one on the totals the only one I missed being over 50 points in the platinum pick so here's where we end the regular season straight up against the spread and over under as well as in those top four picks straight up I finished the season 160 95 and 1 it's always a pretty darn good season when you go 17 weeks and have less than 100 games picked in correctly so to hit 160 for another year I think that's I, that's what I've hit most of the time when I've been doing this show. I mean, look, this is year number nine for this show. 160 is a nice benchmark for me. I always like to get as high above that as I can, but as long as I hit 160, I'm fairly happy. Against the spread, 116, 132, and 8. So obviously I was a full 16 games underwater against the spread. Over under, I almost pulled it up to the against the spread level. 115, 136, and 5 on the total. So look, the betting picks... They were not strong all year. I had, you know, a, a good start to the season. And after that, it really fell apart. And I had some really bad weeks. 
There's no other excuse for it. There's no specific explaining to it other than the fact that, you know, I got to sit down in the offseason and take a look at my model because obviously something there has to change. The platinum, gold, silver, and bronze picks over the season. We'll start with the bronze pick, 11-6 and six straight up on the season. That's a solid season as far as I'm concerned. Only went 5-12 and 12 against the spread, going almost 500 on the totals at 7, 9, and 1. So overall on those betting picks, I was 12, 21, and 1. With the silver pick, 16-1 and 1 straight up. I only missed one silver pick straight up all season long that was a solid one to follow against the spread six nine and two and on the totals six nine and two so wound up going 12 18 and four on the betting picks for the silver pick the gold pick and the platinum pick were both 12 and 5 straight up. I don't like the fact that I lost five of those each because those should be the most layup straight up picks of the season but look underdogs were cashing in at a crazy rate this year so it doesn't shock me but I'd like to be better on that next season against the spread 7 and 10 for the gold pick 6 10 and 1 for the platinum pick so those numbers not nearly good enough almost went 500 on the gold pick on the totals at 7 9 and 1 but an abysmal 4 and 13 on the totals for the platinum pick this past season so Gold pick, 12 and 5 straight up, 14, 19, and 1 on the betting picks. Platinum pick, 12 and 5 straight up, 10, 23, and 1 on the betting picks. Gross. Taking a peek at both the Bridgewater's Finest and Anti and Co. straight up pick em pools for the 2020 season. The Anti and Co. pool is now done, so I'll be announcing the winner of that obviously on this show. But the Bridgewater's Finest pool does continue through the playoffs. Currently sit right in the middle in 19th place out of 38. Got 1,426 out of 2,047 possible confidence points. That's a clip of 69.7%. Week 17, obviously with my 12 and 4 week, had a strong week with the confidence points as well. 115 out of 136, it's an 84.6% clip. It's the way you like to finish the regular season. Was not good enough, however, to win week 17 because the genius put in an all-time performance in week 17, 135 out of 136 possible confidence points. So they only missed their one-point game. Otherwise, they would have had a perfect, flawless week in week 17, 99.3% clip for the confidence points to genius had an incredible week crack on covid remains the overall leader in the pool and i guess the winner of the regular season quote unquote 1496 out of 2047 possible confidence points that's a clip of 73.1 percent that's a hell of a regular season congratulations crack on covid for being the regular season overall leader of course still got four weeks left to go as I mentioned with the Anti and Co. Pick'em Pool, that pool is now done. I finished the season in 14th place out of 33, brought in 12 of the 16 games, obviously correct, in week 17. That was a 75% clip. Rel Eagles Fly, TJ, a longtime member of the NFL YouTube Prognosticators community, brought in the week 17 win by going 14-2 and two with his picks in week 17. That's an 87.5% clip. That's a hell of a week. Good job, TJ. You win week 17. Congratulations to the Anti and Co. Pick'em Pool overall champion 
for 2020. He's a man who has been mentioned on this show multiple, multiple times. My good friend, West Coast Martin. Martin wins the pool this year with 172 straight up picks correct in the 2020 regular season. A full 12 picks higher than I did straight up this season. Martin was on a roll all year long, had an incredible, incredible performance. Congratulations, Martin. You win the Ante and Co. Pick'em Pool for 2020, and hopefully we'll see everybody back in that pool for 2021. Obviously, there is no more Fantasy Corner for this season, but I do want to take the opportunity to say thank you very much to my newest affiliation, which is the Dynasty Trade Calculator. The Dynasty Trade Calculator is available at my affiliate link, which is in the description to the video here on YouTube. It's also available in the description of the podcast episode, wherever you get your podcasts. The Dynasty Trade Calculator, the number one resource for Dynasty Fantasy Football keeper fantasy football, long-term fantasy football, which is really what I'm starting to dive into more and more as time goes by. The number one resource online for trade evaluations, player rankings, podcasts, everything that you could possibly want, no matter how your league in particular is configured. The Dynasty Trade Calculator has you covered. Plans beginning as low as $3 to get access to the single best resource and all of the resources on under its umbrella for Dynasty Keeper and long-term fantasy football. Make sure you hit the affiliate link in the description below. Speaking of the description below, I will point you in that direction as I always do to let you know that there you can find all of my results from last week, all of my straight up against the spread and over under plays for Super Wild Card Weekend. You can find information on joining the Bridgewater's Finest Pick'em Pool if you'd like to. You can find information on joining the NFL YouTube Prognosticators Facebook page if you'd like to. And you can find information on my great friends and longtime sponsors at Nerd Tees. Folks, nerdtees.ca is the place you need to go for all of your tea needs. And I know your tea needs are many nerdtees.ca hit my promo code bwfinest you are going to save 15% at checkout on whatever you order from nerdtees.ca you're also going to get free shipping in Canada on any order over a hundred bucks which is an excellent deal and if you're in the U.S. you already get a great conversion rate on the U.S. dollar Today's blend is an absolute classic. It is Amaretto Almond Biscotti, combines two incredible flavor palettes. It is really, it smells fantastic. It tastes really, really good. There are dozens and dozens of tea blends on nerdtees.ca that have those exact characteristics. And you can find out by going to nerdtees.ca, hitting my promo code BWFINEST, save your money, get your free shipping, find yourself something to love. Hey, look, Valentine's Day is coming up. Or find someone you love something to love. Like I said, Valentine's Day. You can do that on nerdtease.ca. Ladies and gentlemen, without further ado... Let's talk playoff football. So obviously we have three really intriguing matchups in both the AFC and the NFC. And we are going to be looking at a lot of different things in laying out these matchups and trying to figure out which way we're going to go with them. We're going to start 
in the AFC. The three AFC playoff matchups are as follows. The Indianapolis Colts are traveling to Buffalo to take on the Bills. That's the 2v7 matchup in the AFC. The 3v6 matchup is the Cleveland Browns traveling to Pittsburgh to take on AFC North rivals, the Steelers. That's the 3v6 matchup. And in the 4v5, the Baltimore Ravens, the third representative of the AFC North, traveling to Tennessee to take on the Titans. So let's start at the top. That 2v7 matchup, the Indianapolis Colts, 11-5, the number two team in the AFC South, traveling to Buffalo to take on the 13-3 AFC East champion, Buffalo Bills. As it sits right now, the Bills are seven-point favorites at home with a game total set at 51.5. This is a matchup of two teams sporting top 10 total offenses from this past season. The Bills, the number two total offense in football, Colts right there at number 10. In terms of passing the football, Buffalo was dominant all year, the number three pass offense in football. The Colts, no slouches themselves, bringing in Phillip Rivers. They had the number 11 pass offense in the league. In terms of running the football, it's the opposite. The Colts and Jonathan Taylor, who's had some excellent games lately, coming all the way up to the number 11 run offense in football. Buffalo, pretty well all season, really not committed much to running the ball. The Bills, just the number 20 run offense. Defensively speaking, the Colts came in with a strong defense most of the season. couple of hiccups here and there, as will happen with most teams. The Colts, the number eight total defense in the NFL. The Bills at number 14, so at least they're inside the top half of the league. In terms of defending the pass, the Bills, number 13 overall, so their secondary, a bit stronger than the Colts, which was only the 20th best, which when you think about it, boy, the 20th best secondary up against Josh Allen, that's a tough task. In terms of stopping the run, the Indianapolis Colts were dominant all year. The number two run defense in the NFL. The Bills just kind of sitting middle of the pack at number 17. In Buffalo this season, the Bills were 7-1 and one and outscored opponents by an average of 8 full points, 32-24. to 24. In those 8 games, they covered against the spread 6 times. They also hit 5 overs. The Bills 10-2 and two against AFC opponents. When the Colts hit the road this season, it was more good than bad. They were 5-3 and three on the season, outscoring opponents by 6 points, 29-23. They covered against the spread 5 times in 8 games and hit 6 overs. They were only 7-5 and five against AFC opponents, meaning all 5 of their losses this year came against teams in the AFC. As we mentioned, Bills enter the game as a seven-point favorite. As a favorite this year, the Bills won 10 of their 11 games when they were favored in Vegas. They also covered against the spread seven times. They were seven and four and hit six of 11 overs. Now, interestingly enough, the Colts were only underdogs one time this year. They were favorites or pickums the rest of the way. They were an underdog one time and they lost that game pretty big. So they didn't win that game. They did not cover the game against the spread. They did hit and over so the one time they were a dog this year seems like the defense kind of let them down over the past four years dating back to the 2017 season these two teams have played each other twice they each won a game the home team interestingly enough won both of those head-to-head -head matchups since 2017 average score in those games was 22 to 9 in favor of the colts 
Slight injury concern on both sidelines here. For the Colts, it comes in their secondary. It's safety Kahari Willis. He's questionable to play in this game after suffering a concussion. So he's in protocol. There's no real major update on him as of yet. For the Bills, it comes on the offensive side, and it's one of Josh Allen's bigger but more sort of understated weapons this year. It's Cole Beasley, who had an incredible season coming out of the slot. Cole Beasley's questionable in this game with a leg injury. Haven't heard any update on him so far. As far as I'm concerned, the biggest mismatch in this game, Indy and Buffalo, has got to be, again, it's Buffalo's pass offense. The number three total pass offense in the NFL this year going up against, you know, a bottom half of the league secondary in Indianapolis. Indianapolis's bread and butter was stopping teams running the ball. Buffalo doesn't really run the ball, so I, that is the strength of their defense. But if the offense isn't really focused on doing that too much, other than, you know, a few quarterback sneaks maybe from Josh Allen, you know, the strongest part of your defense kind of neutralized. I've praised the Colts all season about protecting the football very, very well. They were one of the best teams in the NFL in terms of not giving the ball up and generating turnovers on defense. It is entirely possible that they do that again in this game, play an opportunistic defense, maybe pick Josh Allen off a time or two. You may see that happen. I just, the Bills are just on a roll here, man. I just don't think anybody's touching Buffalo at this stage in the playoffs, as it moves forward, we'll have to see based on the matchup. I just don't think Indianapolis is going to go into Buffalo and beat this Bills team the way this Bills team is playing. I got to take Buffalo here straight up. We're going to take the Bills in Buffalo to beat the Colts. On the line, like I mentioned, Buffalo favored by a full touchdown. I think that's too many points for me. I think this is going to be a very competitive football game. I'm going to take those seven points for the Colts. Total in the game set at 51 and a half. I have to think this thing goes over. I've got this capped closer to a 60 than this number would have us believe. So I think we're going to go over 51 and a half points in Buffalo, Indianapolis. Let's go Bills 31, Colts 27. I think this could low-key be the most entertaining game of Super Wildcard Weekend. Let's go to that 3v6 matchup in the AFC now. The Cleveland Browns traveling to Pittsburgh to take on the Steelers. And this is where we hit our COVID situation. It just announced earlier today that head coach Kevin Stefanski for the Browns, as well as two additional coaches and two additional players, one of whom is kind of a player of significance, which we'll talk about in the injuries when we go later on down the line. All of them tested positive for COVID earlier this morning. Stefanski has already stated he will not be coaching in Pittsburgh. That means for this game, plays are going to be called by the Browns offensive coordinator and it's going to fall to special teams coordinator Mike Prefer to serve as head coach in this game. And that you can't underestimate how much of a change that is. It's not a coach being fired. It's a coach just literally not being able to be there. That has to completely throw the game plan into disarray because the way Stefanski would call that game is not going to be the same way that the special teams coordinator is going to call the game. 
As I mentioned, these two teams, AFC North rivals, Cleveland 11-5 on the year, the number three team out of the NFC North to make the playoffs. So, you know, kudos to the AFC North for having a strong year. Pittsburgh 12-4, champions of the NFC North. Steelers come in as five and a half point favorites. They were four and a half when I went to bed last night, but that's just how much that line has moved since the news came out about Stefanski the coaching staff, and a couple of players. Total in the game set at 47 and a half points. Offensively, neither one of these teams were spectacular this year. The Browns, right in the meaty part of the curve, number 16 overall in terms of total offense. Pittsburgh, number 25. This is not a strong offensive team by and large on the season. Now, Pittsburgh was more successful throwing the football. Steelers the number 15 pass offense, whereas the Browns only number 24. And I mean, guess it kind of makes sense with Odell Beckham getting hurt when he did, but you still got Jarvis Landry. You've still got good tight ends. You still got both Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb who can catch the ball. I was kind of surprised to see that number. In terms of running the ball, it's night and day. It's one team that is fully committed to running the ball with two really good running backs. That's the Cleveland Browns, the number three run offense in football this year. And the Pittsburgh Steelers, the worst run offense in football that have just completely moved away from trying to run the ball. On the defensive side, the Pittsburgh Steelers, an incredible defense, obviously coming from last season. They continued that this year, the number three total defense in the NFL. Cleveland at number 17, kind of average. In terms of the secondary, Steelers, the number three secondary in football. Cleveland just number 22. So the Browns did struggle a little bit to stop teams moving the ball through the air. Now these run defenses, incredibly, incredibly similar. Cleveland number nine, Pittsburgh number 11. So both of these run defenses more than capable of stopping the game on the ground. Pittsburgh really got the job done in their own building this year, 7-1 and one in their eight home games, outscoring opponents by 10 full points on average, 29-19. They did cover five times against the spread at home. They only hit four overs. They were 4-3-1 and one on the totals in their own building. And since this is a division game, I thought it was more prudent to look at how teams did in the division versus how they did against conference opponents. Pittsburgh won four of their six division games. The Browns on the road were no slouches, five and three straight up this year, but they were outscored on average 30 to 25, which means on the road, if the offense couldn't keep up, man, that defense really, really struggled in their road games this year. They only covered three times in eight games against the spread, even money on the totals at four and four. The Browns only also three and three inside the AFC North. As favorites this year, the Steelers won 9 of 11 games. They covered against the spread. It was about 50-50, but they were 6-5 and five against the spread as favorites. Only 4-6-1 on the totals when they entered the game as the betting favorite. As underdogs this year, Cleveland were dogs five times. They won twice outright, but only covered against the spread two of those five games, which would have been their two losses. The other three times that they were underdogs, they didn't cover against the spread either. 
Obviously, where these two teams are division opponents, they play each other a bunch. Since the beginning of the calendar year of 2017, these two teams have played each other nine times head-to-head, the Steelers winning seven of those nine games. Also worth noting, the home team has also won seven of those nine games, so pretty strong edge towards the team playing at home. Average score in those games has been 24-19 to in favor of Pittsburgh. In terms of the injuries, now uh, Olivier Vernon last week, he tore his ACL, so obviously he's on IR, he's done for the season. And as we mentioned, with a little bit of the COVID outbreak that Cleveland is dealing with right now, left guard Joel Batonio will not play in this game. He's one of the two players that's been identified as well as a wide receiver that tested positive for COVID this morning. That's pretty significant. Batonio's played over a thousand snaps this year. He's only taken three penalties and only allowed one quarterback sack he's played really well this year so if they're not going to have their starting left guard that's going to hurt their run game it's going to hurt their pass defense because obviously we know the Steelers pretty darn good pass rush on Pittsburgh side kicker Chris Boswell still dealing with the groin injury that he pulled up I think a couple of weeks ago they had their back they've had their backup in I think they've been going for two a little bit more frequently than they had been before there's no news yet as to whether or not Chris Boswell will play in this game but especially with kickers you don't want to you know you don't want to muck around with groin injuries too badly the biggest mismatch in this matchup is what we talked about before The fact that the Browns only had the number 24 pass offense in football, they're going up against the top three secondary. It is going to be very difficult for Baker Mayfield to move the ball through the air against this very, very good Pittsburgh secondary, especially if he's going to be without his starting left guard. You know, I felt pretty good about the Steelers coming into this game. I mean, look... They just played last week and Cleveland beat them by two, but that was in Cleveland with Mason Rudolph starting at quarterback. So the fact that he could only beat a Mason Rudolph-led Steelers team by two points in their own building doesn't really bode well for now having to go to Pittsburgh and play Ben Roethlisberger. I just don't think it's going to work out well for Cleveland. Then you take the COVID situation, you throw that on top of everything. I think the Steelers roll in this one quite personally. Let's go with the Pittsburgh Steelers at home to beat Cleveland. On the line, Steelers, like I said, now favored by five and a half points instead of the four and a half that it was just last evening. I like the Steelers to cover that number. It's under a touchdown. I realize it's a division game, but I just really think Pittsburgh is going to be, uh, between these two teams, Pittsburgh's going to be much more likely to really take advantage of and exploit that mismatch in terms of Cleveland and their secondary. So let's cover the five and a half. Total in the game set at 47 and a half points and spoilers on the totals. This is going to be my only under of this week. I think all the other games are at least relatively high scoring or above where the lines are. This one I'm going to stick under on the 47 and a half points. I don't know what Cleveland's offense is going to look like. So look, they only put up, what was it, 46 last week. So that's an under. I don't know what Cleveland's going to look like. Let's stay under the 47 and a half points. In Pittsburgh, Cleveland, let's go Steelers 30, Browns 17. Pittsburgh moves on. And the third and final matchup in the AFC is that four versus five matchup of the Baltimore Ravens in Tennessee 
to take on the Titans. Baltimore is actually now going to be on the tail end of back-to-back road games. They're the only road team this week that played on the road last week. Got to keep an eye on that. Ravens 11-5 this year, the number two seed out of the AFC. The Tennessee Titans at 11-5, winning the tiebreaker with the Indianapolis Colts to be the champions of the AFC South. On the line, Baltimore, a three and a half point favorite on the road in Tennessee with a total set at 55. Offensively, Baltimore struggled for most of the season before really turning it on here in the last five or six weeks. And as most people will very quickly point out, pretty darn easy schedule they had there down the stretch. They finished the season the number 19 total offense in football. The Titans were a strong offense all season long. They're the number three total offense in the NFL. Now, most of that obviously comes on the ground, which we'll get to in a second. Tennessee, only the number 23 pass offense in the league. Baltimore, the worst pass offense in football. We think about it. Lamar Jackson won an MVP last year, and they were the single worst pass offense in the NFL. Now, running the football. That's where both of these teams butter their bread. The Ravens, the number one run offense in football. The Titans, the number two run offense in football. We all know for Baltimore, it's kind of a group effort, but man, J.K. Dobbins has exploded in the last couple of weeks. He has taken over that backfield. For Tennessee, obviously it's King Henry. Derrick Henry crossing 2,000 rushing yards. One of just however many it was, seven, eight people that have ever done that in the history of the NFL. Derrick Henry's a monster. Defensively, this is a night and day matchup. The Ravens, a very strong defense, fundamentally sound defense, the number seven total defense in the NFL. Meanwhile, Tennessee, fifth from the bottom this year, number 28 of 32 teams. In terms of the secondary, Baltimore, the number six pass defense, Tennessee, number 29. So look, yeah, Baltimore couldn't really pass on anybody, but they got one of the worst secondaries in football in front of them. Maybe Lamar Jackson can do some things throwing the ball. And now the run defense, which obviously, based on how these two teams move the football, is going to be the single most important element of this game. Baltimore inside the top 10 in terms of their run defense. Tennessee number 19. So man, if they can't stop the run, this is going to be a long day for Tennessee. Tennessee, a respectable 5-3 record in their eight home games this year, outscoring opponents by five points, 33-28, to so high-scoring games in Tennessee this year, only covering 50% of the time against the spread, but they did hit six of eight overs. The Titans also 8-4 and four against AFC opponents. The Ravens on the road, Road Warriors this year, 6-2 and two in their eight road games, outscoring opponents by nine points on average, 29-20. to 20. They covered five of those eight games against the spread, only hitting three overs, however. They were only three and five on the totals on the road, seven and five against AFC opponents. So like when we talked about the Colts, all five of Baltimore's losses this year came against AFC teams. As a favorite this year, the Ravens 10 and 4 straight up. They also covered against the spread in 8 of those 14 games and were even money on the totals at 7 and 7 to the over. Tennessee, as an underdog, they're only a dog five times this year. They won three of those five games outright. All three of those were the games that they also covered against the spread. They were 5-0 and oh to the over. All five times they were an underdog, the number went over the total. 
Since the start of the 2017 season, the Titans and Ravens have played each other four times. Tennessee has won three of those games, and the home team has only won one of those four football games. So that is something to, you know, it's Tennessee's got a feather in their cap, but then it's immediately taken away from them because the home team has technically not done very well in these matchups. Average score only separated by a single point, 20 to 19 in favor of Tennessee. Now, in terms of the injuries, Baltimore has got an injury basically across the board here. They've got one in the wide receiver core. It's Willie Sneed has been dealing with a, what feels like a perpetual ankle injury for most of the season. Yannick Ngakwe on the defensive line. He's questionable to play with a thigh injury, although Coach Harbaugh did come out and say pretty good chance he'll be playing. Ditto for cornerback Jimmy Smith, questionable with a shoulder injury, but Harbaugh saying of him as well, more likely than not, that he does play. On Tennessee's sideline, kind of like when we were talking about Cleveland, their most significant injury comes on their offensive line, and it's starting guard Roger Saffold. He's questionable with an ankle injury. I believe it was a low ankle sprain, and he's been described as a close call. So, Usually in those instances, it's probably less likely that he'll play than he will, but you never know what you could see on game day, especially for a playoff game. Obviously, I think the biggest mismatch here and the mismatch that I think will determine the game is the Tennessee's ability to stop the run. Like Derrick Henry runs in such a way that you can game plan for it. Baltimore is so diverse and dynamic with the way they operate their run game. It's kind of difficult to plan for them because you never know if it's going to come from Ingram or Dobbins or Lamar Jackson, or you never really know where the run game is going to come from. Tennessee, you know what's going to happen. Derrick Henry's going to get the ball and he's going to try to run through your face. That at least you can game plan for. You know where the ball is coming from and you know where it's going to. It's going to be Tennessee's ability or lack thereof to stop Baltimore's run game that's really going to determine who wins this game. I don't think Tennessee's going to do it. I don't think Tennessee's got the defense. This is probably the biggest nightmare matchup for the Titans in the first round that you could have possibly pegged them for. If I'm the Titans, I'd rather play Pittsburgh. I'd rather play Cleveland. I'd probably rather play Indy or Buffalo. Indy, maybe, you know, question marks because they've been running the ball really well. But basically any other AFC playoff team, if I'm Tennessee, I would rather play them than Baltimore. I think the Ravens are going to win this thing. Let's take Baltimore on the road in Tennessee to beat the Titans. Like I mentioned, the Ravens enter this game three and a half point favorites on the road in Tennessee. I'm going to lay those points. I'm going to take the minus three and a half. Yes, it's taking a hook, but again, Tennessee's defense, I just can't bet on them right now. So three and a half points, it's not a crazy high amount. So let's lay the points and take Baltimore minus the three and a half. Total in the game set at 55. I have no reason to believe this stays under. Baltimore's offense playing really well lately. Tennessee's got a great offense of their own. Tennessee's defense is not good. So I... Even though it's the biggest total, I don't think it stays under. We're going to go over 55 points in Tennessee, Baltimore. We're going to go Ravens 37, Titans 31. So that's the AFC picture for you. Let's move now to the NFC where we see two versus seven matchups of the Chicago Bears in New Orleans taking on the Saints. 
We have a three versus six matchup of the LA Rams traveling to Seattle to take on the Seahawks and a four versus five matchup of the Tampa Bay Bucks traveling to Washington to take on the football team who clinched the NFC East title in game number 256. So, two versus seven, Chicago in New Orleans to take on the Saints. The Bears at eight and eight just basically backdoor their way into the playoffs based on the Arizona Cardinals losing that game that I, again, expressed my almost utter shock that they lost. Chicago gets in at eight and eight, the number two seed out of the NFC North. New Orleans 12 and four champions of the NFC South. The Saints enter this game as 10-point favorites at home against Chicago with a game total set at 48. Offensively speaking, gotta give the edge to the Saints in this game. The number 12 total offense in football taking on a Chicago Bears team at number 26. So one of the lower offenses in the league. In terms of passing, and you got to consider Drew Brees missed a bunch of time this year. Saints, the number 19 pass offense, Chicago at number 22. So not a ton of quarterback stability with either one of these teams throughout the season. In terms of running the football, Saints, a great run offense behind Alvin Kamara, the number six run offense in football. Chicago, just number 25. Look, they lost Tariq Cohen right at the beginning of the year. David Montgomery was mediocre for most of the season. Defensively speaking, which I think you'd have to say would be Chicago's strength, you still got to give the edge to the Saints. The Saints, the number four total defense in football this year, fairly quietly that they would be a top five performer there. Chicago, no slouches. Number 11, they were solid across the board. But in terms of the pass defense and the run defense, Saints were top five in both cases. Number five, secondary for New Orleans. Number four, run defense. Chicago, number 12 in terms of stopping the pass. Number 15 in terms of stopping the run. So look, this is a good defense in Chicago taking on what I would say is a great one in New Orleans. Now, the Saints did drop two home games this year. They were only 6-2 and two in their own building. They did outscore opponents by a full touchdown, 32-25. to 25. Only covered against the spread half the time. They were 4-4. Four and four. They did, however, hit six of eight overs this year in their own building. They were 10-2 and two as well against NFC opponents. Chicago 5-3 on the road this year. They definitely did their job away from home, outscoring opponents only by a single point, 26-25. They were 5-3 against the spread, including obviously a number of underdog hits against the spread, and hit 5 of 8 overs away from their own building. But they were only even money against the NFC this year, and even 6-6 six six in their 12 games. The Saints were favorites in all but two games this year, and they won 11 of those 14 games straight up when they were favored. They hit eight times against the spread, covering eight of 14 games, and nine of 14 to the over. So a lot of scoring, and more often than not, the Saints were covering the number. In fact, the Saints had the most favorite overs in the NFL this year at nine. The Bears as underdogs, six wins straight up this year. Sure, they were under 500 at six and seven, but you would expect underdogs to be under 500 straight up. But that is the most underdog wins in the NFL this year were the Chicago Bears at six. They also covered seven of those 13 games against the spread and hit six of 13 overs. 
Since the start of the 2017 season, New Orleans and Chicago have played each other three times, the Saints victorious in all three of those games. Now, the home team has only won one of those games, because two of them were in Chicago, but the average score, 27-20 to 20 in favor of New Orleans. In terms of injuries, Chicago does have a couple. One is on their offensive line, the other one in their front seven defensively, and I think both of them may loom large in this matchup. On the O-line, it's tackle Bobby Massey. He's questionable with a knee injury. He's been injured off and on over the last few years. I know a lot of people are pointing Chicago in the way of an offensive lineman at the first round of the draft. And linebacker Roquan Smith injuring himself last week in the game against Green Bay. He's questionable with an elbow injury. I would kind of be surprised if he played, but stranger things have happened. On New Orleans sidelines, they do have an injury that they're concerned with, and it's safety Marcus Williams. He's questionable with an ankle injury. I think that was a low ankle sprain as well. That's a big part of their secondary, and if he's not out there, it does absolutely make a difference. So we'll be watching the Saints injury reports as the week progresses. As far as I'm concerned, obviously the biggest mismatch here, the fact that Chicago's had a fairly poor job of moving the football this year and that Saints defense has been really spectacular number four total defense number 26 total offense in Detroit I just don't see how the Bears are going to move the ball obviously I'm on the Saints here in a big bad way I think they win this thing by multiple possessions maybe if the game was in Chicago I might look at the Bears as a possible like really heavy upset pick but I just I just don't see it. I just don't see how it's going to happen. So we're going to take the New Orleans Saints here pretty heavily at home against Chicago. Like I mentioned on the line, Saints are 10-point favorites. I'm going to lay those 10 points. I know it's basically been a bad move all year to lay double-digit points on somebody. But look, New Orleans protects the ball. I don't think they're going to turn it over very much here to Chicago. Chicago's got a good defense, but not a great one. They've got a mediocre offense going up against a great defense. 10 points, I think, is still a little bit of a gift. I would have expected this maybe to be a little bit higher, but we're going to lay those 10 points on New Orleans. Watch this line, too, especially if this somehow dips to 9.5. Throw a ton of money at it. Total in the game set at 48, and like I already spoiled, I'm going to go over on this one as well. I don't think it flies over, but I think it does get over, you know, it's a high 40, but it's not like it's a 50. So we're going to go over 48 points in New Orleans, Chicago. Let's go Saints 37, Bears 16. We're going to go to Seattle now for a 3v6 matchup that also features our second divisional matchup of these playoff picks. The Los Angeles Rams, 10-6, the number two seed out of the NFC West, taking on the NFC West champion, 12-4, Seattle Seahawks. Seattle, minus 4.5 coming into this game, with a game total set at a weekly low of 43. Rams finished the season just outside the top 10 in terms of the total offense. They're at number 11. Seattle around the midpoint league-wide at number 17. So they struggled offensively a little bit more down the stretch than I would have expected them to. The Rams, the number 13 pass offense this year. Seahawks at number 16. And in terms of running the ball, Rams just inside the top 10 at number 10. Seahawks just outside the top 10 at number 12. 
Defensively speaking, this is a mismatch. The Rams, the number one total defense in the NFL this year. Seattle, just number 22. Now, Seattle's defense has gotten white hot here at the end of the season, but that white hot streak only pulled them up to number 22 overall. In general, this is not a great defense. That's especially evident when you look at the pass defenses, the secondaries for these two teams. Rams, the number one secondary in football. Seattle just won from the bottom and spent most of the year as the worst secondary in football. Now, one thing these two teams can do very similarly is stop the run game on the ground. So the Rams, the number three run defense, Seattle, the number five run defense. So moving the ball on the ground is going to be a struggle, whether it's Cam Akers or Chris Carson or whoever it happens to be trying to run the football. It's going to be a struggle no matter who it is. Seahawks, as they historically do, got the job done in their own building, 7-1 and one in their eight home games, outscoring opponents by nine full points, 30-21. to 21. They covered against the spread six times in eight games, but only hit three of eight overs on the year. And again, where these two are division opponents, it's worth looking at how they did inside the division. Seattle, 4-2 and two against NFC West opponents. Rams were even money on the road this year at 4 and 4, only outscoring opponents by an average of 2 points, 26 to 24. They were even money against the spread at 4 and 4. They were even money to the over at 4 and 4, and they were even money inside the division at 3 and 3. Seattle won 11 of their 14 games where they entered as betting favorites. They only went even money against the spread though at 7 and 7, only hitting 6 of 14 overs as favorites this year. Now, the Rams were only underdogs four times this year. They were even money against the spread at two and two. They did hit three of four overs. Basically, what this all is amounting to is it's a lot of even money across the board. Over the last four seasons, obviously, these two teams have played each other a bunch of times. They've had eight games since the beginning of the calendar year of 2017. Five of those games have been won by the Rams. The home team is also five and three in this head-to-head matchup in those eight games. The average score of those games, a six-point advantage to L.A., But where I really think this game's going to be decided is in terms of who's not on the field for both of these teams, especially for the visiting LA Rams. Two huge names who may not be on the field. Andrew Whitworth at tackle. Now look, Whitworth has been out for a while. He was designated to return from injured reserve last week with a knee injury. We still don't know whether Whitworth will be playing or not in this game. Uh, It's possible that he plays, but I mean, at what percentage? Andrew Whitworth at 75% is probably still better than a lot of the tackles in this league, but he could very easily also not play. And quarterback Jared Goff, look, he didn't play last week. They played Wolford. He played not great as far as I'm concerned. I think if he was playing against a better defense, that would have been exposed a lot more. He got the win, but it wasn't exactly a crazy, super impressive win. Obviously, the Rams are going to be hoping that Jared Goff can play, but he's been described as a long shot to play in this game. So good chance it's going to be Wolford one more time. On Seattle's sideline, starting tackle Mikey Upati has been a strong tackle in this league for a number of years. He's questionable heading into this week with a neck injury. You know, as far as I'm concerned, there aren't any crazy, crazy mismatches here. The uh, Rams passing game against the Seahawks secondary 
might be a crazy mismatch if Jared Goff was playing at 100%. Even if Goff plays, he's playing on a thumb that was what? It was either dislocated or scoped or surgically repaired like two or three weeks ago. So even if Goff plays, he's not going to be himself. So that would be a massive mismatch. So I'm going to kind of cop out here and say like, look, the Rams are the number one total defense in the league. Seattle's only middle of the pack in terms of total offense. If you got to look at that as the biggest mismatch here, then we can certainly go in that direction. But as far as I'm concerned, I think this is like the closest matchup of Super Wildcard Weekend. Now, I went back and forth on this game a couple of times. I genuinely think the Rams are a better team than most people think they are. I seem to give them more credit than other teams do, but then they turn around and they do something silly. So, you know, it's 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 tough to say. I'm going to lean on the fact that the Seahawks were 7-1 and one in their own building this year. Seattle is a very difficult place to go and win. And the fact that it was it's always so important for the Seahawks to get home field advantage to be able to play a home game in their own building whether they have fans or not it's still such an advantage to the Seahawks to play at home I guess that's enough for me to lean on the Seahawks in this game we're gonna take Seattle straight up at home to beat the Rams but on the line we're gonna hedge our bets here because I think the Rams could genuinely win this football game outright So if you're going to give me four and a half points, I'm going to have to go ahead and take those. We're going to take the Rams plus 4.5. Total in the game set at 43 points. I don't think this flies crazy over, but at the same time, I can't sweat an under on a 43. So we're going to go over on this one too. Over 43 points in Seattle, Los Angeles. Let's go Seahawks 27, Rams 24. And here we go, folks. The last game we are going to be looking at for Super Wild Card Weekend, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and Tom Brady. 11-5, the number two seed out of the NFC South, going to Washington to take on the 7-9 football team champions, quote-unquote, of the NFC East. Now, Washington enters this game eight-and-a-half-point underdogs at home against Tampa Bay with a game total of 45 and a half with the exception of the run game the offenses are are just absolute night and day the bucks number seven total offense in football the number two passing offense in football which is no shock when you have tom brady and mike evans and chris godwin and now antonio brown and oh yeah by the way rob gronkowski and oh yeah by the way cameron Brait. like they've just got so many weapons so no shock they were the number two pass offense Washington really did not move the ball very well at all this year. Washington, the number 30 total offense, number 25 in terms of the pass offense, and obviously they've had a bit of a quarterback carousel this year. Neither team been very strong running the football either. Washington, number 26, Tampa Bay, number 28. And I think that's the one thing that kind of keeps Tampa Bay, to me anyway, out of the elite conversation, the fact they can't run the football. This is going to be an excellent defensive matchup as far as I'm concerned. Two top 10 total defenses from this season. Washington at number two overall. Tampa Bay at number six. 
Now, Washington has gotten it done mostly with their secondary, which makes this such an interesting matchup. Tom Brady and all those offensive weapons, assuming Mike Evans can play, all of those offensive weapons against this number two secondary for Washington. Exceedingly well coached, a very strong secondary. Let's see what Tom Brady and those weapons can do. Tampa Bay, only the number 21 pass defense in the NFL, so certainly exploitable, but I just wish it was against a team that had a better pass offense. In terms of running the football, Tampa Bay, the best run defense in the NFL, but again, you're not against a team that prioritizes running the ball. This is Indianapolis all over again, Indian Buffalo. You're not against a team that prioritizes running the ball. So great, you're the number one run defense, but the other team's not really running the ball all that much. Washington sits middle of the pack, by the way, the number 14 run defense. Washington winners of only three of their five home games this season, outscored on average by a single point, 19 to 18, so very low scoring games in Washington this year. They did cover five of eight times against the spread, only hitting two of six overs. They were also only five and seven against NFC opponents. The Bucks, meanwhile, very strong season away from their own building, 6-2 and two straight up, outscoring opponents by 12 points on average, 33-21. to 21. However, they were only even money against the spread at 4-4. Four and four. They did hit 5 of 8 overs and were 8-4 and four against NFC opponents. As favorites this year, the Bucks were 10-3 and three straight up. They covered against the spread seven times and hit eight of 13 overs. As underdogs, Washington, five and eight straight up. So five of their straight up wins this year came as underdogs. They were eight and five against the spread. So a very strong season against the spread for Washington as underdogs, only hitting five of 13 overs. These two teams have only played each other once in recent memory. That was won by the Washington football team on the road in Tampa Bay. They won that game 16-3. to I believe that was back in 2018, I want to say. Pair of injuries to keep an eye out for. They both come on the defensive side. And of course, this is coming without information on the Mike Evans situation. He may be good to go. He may not be good to go. I don't have that information right in front of me. But for Tampa Bay, it's cornerback Carlton Davis having himself a strong season. He's questionable with a groin injury. And for Washington, it's linebacker Kevin Pierre-Lewis, who is questionable with an ankle injury. It's a little bit of a cop-out here, but once again... I'm looking at this as like the biggest mismatch is Washington offensively. What is Washington going to be able to do offensively with the football? The number 30 total offense in the entire NFL going against the top 10 total defense. I just don't see what Washington's going to be able to do with the football that's going to lead them to victory in a game like this. I get the feeling, especially after watching that game uh, last week on Sunday night, that, man, this this Washington team doesn't know offensively which direction it's going in. That defense is incredible, very, very good, but the defense can only hold them in it for so long, especially against Tom Brady, especially against all these weapons. I got to take the Bucks. Tampa Bay, also a team that does not give up the football very much. They are very smart with their decisions with the ball. They don't give it up. They generate turnovers on the defensive side. Let's take Tampa Bay on the road in Washington to beat the football team.
Now, again, Tampa's favored by eight and a half points here, which is the second biggest spread of the week. And it feels like a lot of points, especially if Mike Evans isn't out there. But I'm going to go ahead and lay it because I can certainly see plenty of scenarios here where Washington either coughs up the football in a turnover or a drive gets stalled with a drop or just mistakes that their offense are going to make to give more opportunities, more possessions to Tom Brady, which is exactly what you do not want to do, especially in a playoff game. But I can see that happening, and I just think Tampa Bay is going to cover that 8.5. I think Tampa Bay's defense is good enough that they're really not going to be tested too much by this Washington offense. Let's lay the 8.5 points. Total in the game set at 45.5. I think this is relatively close, but it's another number like in the previous game. I just don't want to sit here and sweat. So we're going to go ahead and go over the 45 and a half points in Tampa Bay, Washington. We're going to go Tampa Bay 31, Washington 16. All right, folks, there you have it. Those are our picks for Super Wild Card Weekend. We'll go over them here with you one more time because they are playoff games. I've got the Buffalo Bills beating the Indianapolis Colts 31-27. to So I like the Colts plus 7 in a game that goes over 51.5. i got the Pittsburgh Steelers beating the Cleveland Browns 30-17, to laying the 5.5 points on Pittsburgh in a game that stays under 47.5 points. I got the Baltimore Ravens beating Tennessee 37 to 31 in Tennessee. We're laying the three and a half points on Baltimore in a game that goes over 55. On the NFC side of things, I've got the Saints demolishing Chicago 37 to 16. I'll take the Saints minus the 10 points in a game that goes over 48. Seattle, I've got the Seahawks beating the Rams in Seattle 27 to 24, but we're hedging our bets and grabbing the Rams plus the four and a half points in a game that goes over 43. And I got the Tampa Bay Bucks in Washington beating the football team, almost doubling them up 31 to 16. I'm going to lay the eight and a half points on the Bucks in a game that goes over 45 and a half points. Those are the picks and it is time now for the patented comment of the week. So the comment of the week from the week 17 episode goes to my guy Cody, the blind Canadian cat. And I have to give him credit here because he is working so hard at just ensuring that there's like no cocky related karma against the Baltimore Ravens because this was last week. This was last week going into the game against Cincinnati. I don't care if the spread was minus two. I'd take Cincy against the spread. After the madness I had to deal with in 2017, I trust nothing anymore. I'm glad my sister got me a stress ball for Christmas. I'm going to need it for this game, especially with how much they're rolling these past few weeks. So Cody is living in constant fear that the Baltimore Ravens are going to crash and burn. Don't worry, Cody. I don't think that's going to happen this week. So at the very least, the Ravens will get one playoff win out of this season. But yours is the comment of the week from the week 17 episode. And ladies and gentlemen, that will do it for our super wildcard weekend episode here at the pick show. Thank you so much for listening and watching. Enjoy the games on super wildcard weekend. We will be back next week for, I don't even want to say it, the divisional round. I can't believe we're going to make the divisional round.